bless all you brothers. I tell you, man, like I was, I was, I was sharing with someone earlier. I said, this right here. Somebody say, what's this? There you go. Who said it? Somebody said it. That's right. It's a huddle. That's right. It's a huddle. That's right. So you guys, we we in a huddle together right here, right now. Just want everybody to know that right now. This is we're huddling up right now. The Holy Spirit said, "Huddle up," and we're here right now. Okay, together. This is the only thing that I miss from football. I don't miss making that money, that moolah. I don't. I don't miss hitting somebody and not going to jail. <laughs> I mean, that was fun, but you know, I, you know. But, but I can still do this right here. I can say I can't make that money. I, I, my time is up. Okay, I, I can't play football. That's that. That's that's over. So I don't miss what I can't do, but I can still do this. And I thank God. And I'm, I'm just so grateful. I'm so fired up right now. I, I remember what I call um, um, a, a, a moment of truth. I remember coming out of the locker room like right before the game, right, and my whole team, like, see, all of us who would come out. This is the old Giant Stadium, right? And it had the big, the big tunnel opening right there. And we would come and stand on one side of the tunnel. And let's say the other team, let's say they were the Eagles or something like that, right? And <laughs> well, when I when I played, we used to whip the Eagles. Okay, I had my first I heard my first touchdown against the Eagles, and I spiked it too. Anyway, so so the other team would come on the other side, and and there would be no talking. It'd be all silence. It was a moment of truth, because there wasn't time to be talking trash, talking anything like that, because both the teams, like the offense and defense, was going to be introduced. And we were getting ready. This, it was, it was showtime. So it was amazing. I remember the silence. And I, and, and, and I thought about it several times, and I really believe that for the most part, my teammates and myself, in that moment of truth, we decided that we had won the game. Because in that moment, we reflected on all the, all the practice, um, all, you know, the looking at films, the conditioning, um, you know, just all the conversations, the preparation for the game. So in that moment, we were ready to make a decision. Now, let's go get it. We've won. We got the victory. But let's go get it now. This is my testimony, guys. My whole life story is about preparation. It's, a, it's about discipline. It's about getting ready. Being ready. For the game. Matter of fact, since I got you brothers right here in this huddle, I'm, I'm going to say one, two, three, are you ready? And when I say are you ready, I want everybody to give me just one, one, one clap, one, one noise, just say break. I don't want, it's, it's not, this is not, I'm not entertaining y'all today, so this ain't no, I ain't talking about that kind of clap. I'm talking about a break. You see, that's the sound of agreement. In this, in this cornea, in this fellowship right here, the, the root word for koinia, for fellowship, is, is koi. Koi means a sound of agreement. When we koi, in all of our lives, brothers, and only, only through God, God can, he, can he make this happen. In him can this happen. Can we koi? Can we make a sound of agreement? Why? So when we break out this huddle and we go back to our lives, God is going to move in and through all of us. 
Does anybody believe that? Well, then you're in the right huddle then. Because I'm going to tell you one thing right now. When, I was, when my teammates and myself, it, it was all about when, 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 when Sims called to play. Flow 36 on two. Flow 36 on two. Are you ready? Ready. <laughs> okay, we, see, that's why we got to practice. <laughs> but see that, I'm going to say it. I'm just right, right quick. Are you ready? God, listen, every, we, God calls us. He calls a player every day. Are you, are you ready, right? He's saying, do you love me? Listen, that's what are you ready means. Do, do you love me? I, I, I didn't say, do you feel me? Feel, feelings not, is not love. Do you will me? Just like Jesus did. Father, I don't feel like doing this, but nevertheless, your will be done. We got to stop feeling and start willing. So, it, so, are you ready? Ready. Okay, okay let's practice. So I'm going to say one, two, three, are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three, are you ready? Ready. What do you think, Daddy? That sounded pretty good. One more time, one more time. Here we go. One, two, three, are you ready? Ready. All right. There you go. So listen, guys, I was born in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. And, and right after I was born, my parents moved to New Jersey. Right here. I was growing up right here in New Jersey. My parents were maids. Cleaning this real wealthy real estate guy's house. At that time, there was a lot of wealthy people living in East Orange. That means, of course, they moved out, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, that, you know, throughout time, there's been a lot of, like, moving different neighborhoods and all that kind of thing like that. But at that time, it, it was some wealthy... Jewish and white people living in, in the East Orange area, okay? And my, and my, and my parents um, were employed by this, this wealthy guy, and, and he had a party one night, and, and, and my father was like this, this really different dude. I mean, he would give his guests dictionaries and say, listen, my servant Cecil Rusan, if you go to any word in dictionary, he would know the meaning of, of, the, word, of the word. Sure enough, my father would know the meaning. If it, no matter what word came up, he would know the meaning. I, I have no idea how he, I, I don't have that. I don't have, that wasn't, I did not inherit that, okay? <laughs> I, can, I can remember my plays, but that's about it. This one guy was so impressed with my father. He was, another, he was one of his friends at the part, as far as this guy's party, party guest who lived on Long Island and said, listen, if, um, you know, let, let, let your servant come and work with me. I can, I can make this black man successful. He has that ability. I can teach him how to, to do real estate. So my parents agreed. Along with the, his, their, their boss, they moved to Washington Heights and um, to work for this guy, be near him on Long Island. And then my parents would hang out in New York City. And so one day, they, my father meets Malcolm X. He was just kicked out of the Nation of Islam. And, um, and he formed his own organization called the Afro-American Unity Organization, which he invited my father because he was impressed with my dad. They got into several conversations and everything. He was like, come and join me. So my father went and joined, became one of his bodyguards and one of his confidants. Um, fast forward, one evening in the Audubon Ballroom, Malcolm X had a message that he was going to share that he never shared before. It was going to go like this. Now, now I'm sitting in the audience like right where you guys are. I'm two. I'm sitting in my mama's lap. My little sister, Sanji, was a newborn baby sitting on my mother's lap. And um, so, so Malcolm comes out, 
and, and this is going to be a speech. There's a reason why all of us are here. Doesn't matter whether you're red, yellow, black, or white. It's time for all of us to come together in a certain kind of harmony. But he never gave that speech. Right before those words came out of his heart, through his chest, out of his mouth, you know, there was, there was an altercation in, in the audience. He was assassinated. That night, the FBI comes to my dad's apartment. You'll see, so we know you haven't done anything wrong. But if you don't leave New York City right now, you will be investigated. And there's no telling what's going to happen to you or to your family. So in that same hour, my father, he gets his, his, his wife, his children. And, and we had an aunt. I had an aunt, Peggy, my mother's sister. They all, we all got in, in, in their brother, brother's car and drove from New York down to Greensville, North Carolina. So that's where I began to grow up. I can, I can share with you guys how God began to invest his heart and his mind in me since I was four years old. I got stories that I can share with you at 10 years old. I share this story with you, so I'm 10. Now, understand something. When my parents moved into their first house, it was in an all-white neighborhood. I was, I was four years old. And then all the white people moved out to another neighborhood. And now, now I'm 10, and the neighborhood is black now. There was, I think it was one still one white family living in the neighborhood. And we hear about this, this football league called Pop Warner. And if you beat everybody, you go to Florida to the September Bowl, the Super Bowl for little kids. And I'm going to tell you, I was fired up. I was the ringleader. So I went to all my boys, right? I said, listen, this is what you tell your parents. We're going to win a Super Bowl for little kids. But they, well, they have to commit to taking us to the other side of town, to where the white people live, okay, and, and, um, and to practice and to the games. And they did what I said, and all the parents committed to it. So it was cut day. And the head football coach says, we got one more person who's going to make the team today. Now, at that point, every white kid was on this side over here. They had made a team. All the black kids was on this side over here. So he goes, Cecil Lee Rusan III. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was black. But it was two different kind of blacks, though. Because I, I felt when I walked from my friends over to all my new teammates who, who was all white, I felt like, well, I, I wasn't the kind of black that I should be. And then, when I, and then when I came over to all my new teammates, I felt like I was wasn't the black that I should be. And that night I had mixed emotions. I'm in my room. I, there were times I would start crying and I would get happy, you know, and, and I just, and, both, and then my father comes to the room and he says, he says, Lee, they cut your sister from the Chilean team because she's black and that ain't right. I'm going to give you three days. I'm not going to raise any males in my house. I'm going to raise men. You got to make a choice. You got to make a decision. Is you going to stay on the team, this new team that you made, or are you going to come home and play for the team that's going to appreciate you and your sister? You got three days. <laughs> but I got myself back together. The three days goes by. My father comes home from work. He comes right, right and get in my, he gets in my face. He goes, son, what's your choice? And I was like, daddy, this is the hardest, hardest decision I've ever made in my whole life. 
But what's going on between you grown, you grown people, us little kids? We didn't start it. And if I quit right now, nothing's going to change in America. And he goes, well, I'm not going to come to see you play on Saturdays. <laughs> and sure enough, my, my father was spend Saturday mornings with my sister. They would go to eat because he wanted to make sure that she felt special, that she was loved, and he wouldn't come to my games. But everybody else came to the games, the whole town. I, I, nobody could stop me. And, I, and so my sister, finally, the last game, she said, she said, Daddy, can we go see Lily play? So he finally came to the last game. And then for the, the banquet, the head coach, he says, Lee, come here. Come here, Lee. Listen, everybody knows Lee's the, the most valuable player on this team. But I want everybody to know, to know this. Because of the choice that he made, next year we're going to have the same amount of black boys on the team and black girls on the team, too, on, on the Chilean team, because of the choice that he made. That was 1972. I really believe, and I could share with, so many, share with you so many stories that it shows the, the, the exponential value of God's heart and mind increasing in me. If some of you guys are financial people in here, I'm talking financial terms, I'm talking a certain value. I'm talking the righteousness of God and value in just real life. This is a part of my, this point that I'm making right now is a part of my testimony too. Because I really believe that all of us in this room who have the spirit of God in us, we, we must converge that. We must continue to converge that the spirit of God is in us with our everyday activities. We need to learn how to do that and teach and, and help others learn how to do that. We just don't huddle up and go to church on Sunday. This, 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 that saying has been, how many times have people been saying this for the last 100 years? But we're in a time right now that we need to display this, the very heart and mind of God. If somebody would ask me, who are you? When I was in middle school, I would have said I was black. Most of the black people, most of the white people, all around me, yo, Lee, you, man, you better be black. But, but here was the challenge. What black should I be? Uh, should I be a, a, a fearful black? Because I had, I had family members like uncles and, and, and people in my neighborhood was like, yo, Lee, you know, listen, everybody knows you're a good football player, but you're not going to make it in the NFL. You know, the white man going to keep you down, black. Why are you acting like, why are you so disciplined? Why are you get up at 5 o'clock every morning and running five miles? Why do you think you're going to make it? Ain't none of us around here made it. And then there was a bougie black, because I, I, was, I was raised Catholic. My father forced my mother to convert to Catholicism. So I went to this Catholic church, and I, was, I hung out with all the bougie blacks. I was all the black children of, because Greensboro is a very successful African-American community. Uh, doctors, lawyers, business owners, professors. So I knew all these kids who acted like they were better than other blacks. And there was one more black. Hi, my name is Michael. I, I wear eyes like shirts and Levi jeans, and my favorite TV show was Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I want to be white black. 
just like we've gone in, 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 the, in late 90s and 2000s, look how many people, how many white kids in America are trying to be ghetto and trying to be black. It's, 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 it's called popularity. It's called what's popular. We can call it all different kind of things. But I would have said in middle school, if somebody asked me, who are you? I would have said I'm black. But when I was a junior in high school, I wasn't black anymore. If somebody would ask me, yo, excuse me, brother, who are you? I would have said, man, I'm Lee Rusan. Don't you know? And don't you know I'm being recruited by every major college in this country? I'm one of the top five running backs in America. Man, people want to give my parents houses, cars, or money if I go to their school. I'm flying on airplanes to L.A. Southern Carolina wants me, Colorado, Little Dane Pitt, every, every, every school in North Carolina. Everybody says I want to be rich. But my senior year, for the first time in my life, I began to realize I had no idea who I was. Because February, February the 16th, Colorado was put on probation. You see, on February, February the 13th, I signed my name on the dotted line to go to the University of Colorado. And then three, year, three days later, we were put on probation. And I, and I began to, to not realize the American dream, but the American nightmare. None of my dreams came true. Didn't win the Heisman, didn't become All-American, didn't get my degree in business, didn't go, didn't go to, the, to the Orange Bowl, didn't have, didn't have over a thousand yard rushing season. None of my dreams came true. I lived the American nightmare, but I didn't give up. You, got, you, see, you see this bling bling right here? See the Super Bowl ring right here? Anybody see it? I took a picture of this little cutie pie young girl out here when I walked in. She was probably about 10 years old. She was a big giant fan. And we took a picture with the Super Bowl ring. But I remember in California, in Pasadena, when the zeros came on the clock. Anybody remember that? What did it say? It said Giants what? 39 and Broncos 20. <laughs> in, in that moment, I didn't have this ring yet, right? But in that moment, I knew that I was a Super Bowl champion. You know why? Because I'm cute. <laughs> nah, I ain't got nothing to do with it. Because I never gave up. I think so many times when the Lord comes back, like just think, guys, if the Lord comes back when any of us are still breathing, he's going to be looking for one thing, himself in us. We never give up on Christ. We never give up on the power and the authority of God. We never give up. Sometimes we feel like it. No, excuse me, a lot of times we feel like it. But that's just feelings again, right? I said, don't feel it, but what? I can't hear you. Don't feel it, but what? I can't hear you. Don't feel it, but what? Come on now. Sometimes I don't feel I love my wife. My friends. But I will it. Because that's love. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice of will. That's the best example Christ gave all of us. I make it to my last year at the University of Colorado. It was a miracle. Everybody say miracle. Miracle. I get this call from this guy. He's an athletic director at the University um, of Missouri. 
and he coached Bill McCartney at Missouri. And he called says, Lee, I got an airplane ticket waiting for you at the Denver airport. Listen, you're not considered one of the best football players in college. In this game, the Blue-Gray game that's played every year on Christmas Day, we showcase all the best student athletes whose team um, is not participating in a postseason game. So we, sh we showcase their talents. All the NFL scouts come here. You didn't, you didn't, have, you didn't have all the stats, but there's one thing that I know about you is your character. So I, I, I get on this airplane, I fly to Montgomery, Alabama, and, and I'm kind of like, I'm like, yeah, I never gave up. You know, I'm, I'm fired up, but doing, doing the conference, like, like, um, like in a room like this, it's kind of, they had all the ball players and all the media guys. No one asked me about my past or my future. That was, a, that was the main topic of conversation. Hey, how, how was your college career? And who do you want to, how do you, who do you want to draft you? What do you think you, you want to be drafted in, in, in the NFL draft, the past and the future? Isn't that, isn't that what we deal with all the time, brothers? Our past and our future? All the, every day, right? And that one dude wrote their book, the past is history, the future is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. So we have to learn how to open up the present and stop living in the past, feeling guilty, caught up in it, and stop worrying about the future. Anybody like that scripture when, it says, when the Lord says, be anxious for nothing? That's one of my favorite plays. Can we just break that play down? Here we go, right quick. Okay. Like, I'm, this is football right here. I'm making you guys a football player right now. See, when you break a football play down, it's in different parts. So the first two parts is this. Everybody say, be anxious. Be anxious. So what is, what is God saying? Huh? What is he saying? He's saying, be anxious. I mean, I mean what, how difficult is that, guys? I'm going to ask you one more time. What is God saying? He's saying, be what? Why? I mean, he gave it to us. Didn't he give it to us? It's an emotion. Not that you get caught up into that you continue to feel and live in it, but in a moment in life, he gave it to you. He says what? Be what? Then, and then the next words are, for nothing. For what? See, only God can, take, can do that to you. Only God can say, be anxious for nothing. Be ready, brothers. Be ready. Be nervous. Be expectant. Is anybody agreeing with this? We, can I, can, can I, am I feeling a, a break on here right here? Okay, I'll take that. Okay, there you go. Then he says, but in everything, through prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to me. I'm the God of peace that passes all understanding. And I will guard your heart and your mind in the power and authority of who I am. Do, do we believe that? Guys, when, you, when, when, when God calls that play, you got to believe it, man. When that ball is snapped, when you're going through something, you got to remember it. You got to be living in it. 
Is anybody hear what I'm saying? So, as I in my talk, I get on the bus, go to football practice the first day, I go to the back of the bus. All the ball players talk about the past and the future, and I'm thinking maybe the, the media didn't ask me that, you know, you know, what about your past or, or your future, but maybe one of the ball players would. They, did, they didn't. I got upset. I started judging all the ball players. I was like, man, look at these ball players talking about they, the Cowboys going to draft them in the first round. The Steelers gonna, if, they, if they're around in the first pick, the Steelers are going to draft them in the first round. How do they know? They don't know. Matter of fact, they don't even know who they are. And then it's like the Holy Spirit just punched me right in the gut. Boom! And said, shut up. You don't even know who you are, Lee. The word of God said, do not judge. At least you be judged. For the reason why you judge is because you are guilty of the very thing that you judge others of. So I realized for the first time in my life I had, I had no idea who I was. Black wasn't working at the back of the bus. Lee Roussan, this famous kid in high school, wasn't working after the back of the bus. But what was working is that for the first time in my life, I realized I had no clue who I was. I went to practice. I came back. I sat at the front of the bus, and there was this ball player sitting beside me, right? And he was just different than everybody in the bus. I was like, I, I said something about a real confidence, a real power. I'm like, excuse me, brother, who are you? He looks at me like the brother looking at me right now. He says, I'm the best wide receiver in the NFL. My name is Jerry Rice. I'm from Mississippi. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> Normally people say their name, right? Or their nationality or their occupation. Look, 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 look at the, sh I, Bill Belichick, when I signed my contract with the Browns with him, he said something to, me, something to me before I signed my contract. He goes, Lee, there are no shortcuts. I was like, yes, coach. He goes, then why do people try to take them? We take shortcuts with our identity, guys. I'm black. I'm white. I'm rich. I'm poor. I'm famous. I'm stupid. I'm fat. I'm skinny. Now, our nationality, our, our occupation, our reputation is a part of who we are. It's a major part of who we are. But that's not the question. The question is, who are you really? That's how I'm receiving it. What's the foundation that I'm building my life on? What's the power source that I'm plugged into? Who are you really? This is, this is my testimony, guys, because I'm telling you, on that day in the front of the bus, I realized something that when that brother said, I'm the best wide receiver in the NFL, he, he wasn't talking about his nationality. He wasn't talking about his, 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 his uh, brand, his, his reputation. He wasn't talking about his his, um, uh, uh, his occupation, football, his, his answer was the response of his heart is what he believed. We weren't even in the NFL yet. NFL was four months, the draft was four months later. You see, he decided who he was before he was. He decided inside of him, in the center of himself. We must do this, God. This is, this is the life God calls us to. To decide who we are in our hearts and our mind. And when who we are is Christ, what a challenge that is for all of us, brothers. 
I praise God for this whole today, and, and I just want to just challenge all of us right now. If there's anybody in this room, if you have not decided who you are, really, make that decision. Stop putting it off. It's time for us to come out this huddle and come to a line of scrimmage of life and move the chains and move forward, pressing on toward the goal and God's purpose and his goals for our lives, guys. I can, only, I, can, I can only say I, I need you. I'm not going to speak for God. I'm going to speak for myself. I need you. There's brothers in, in this room here right now that have helped me in my life so much. And not about just helping me, but we've come together sharing the gospel, sharing Christ and the gospel. So many people need to know how to identify that it's not a shortcut. So many people think football is easy, you know? You know how many times I've been hearing people tell me, oh, number 22, boo, we ain't got to worry about you today. People think it's so easy, sitting in the stands, running their mouth, talking about what's going on. Once you get your behind on the football field and try to, and try to get 10 yards. <laughs> the love of God, guys, that constrains us, it's, it's hard, guys. It's tough. This ain't no easy thing, man, being a player on God's team. Just wanted to encourage everybody.